Good morning and welcome to Pastor Pete's podcast. Our, this is episode four of our walk through the book of James in, in the Holy Bible. Um, just a quick note here before we, we move forward. Um, I accidentally I accidentally republished episode three. So if it's showing up like it was just published today, it was and it was published a week ago. But because I accidentally republished it, today's date is now the new stamp on it. So if you listened to it before, um, that's great. You're, you don't need to listen to it again if you're following me. If you haven't listened to it, please feel free to do so. Um, anyway, uh, just to to give you an update on what's going on with that in case you were confused. Um, so with that in mind, let's let's pray and, and bring God into the mix. Not that he isn't already there, but or we're opening up our hearts to him. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all the many blessings we have. I thank you that we can um, talk about you and learn about you through your word, through things like podcasts and YouTube and, and all the wonderful modern technology that we have, uh, that we can see old things recorded and, and see new things recorded and all that, Lord God. We receive that blessing and we're grateful for it, Lord God. Help us not ever to take that for granted. As with all things, we pray that our time together would be blessed with your wisdom, that we'd learn more about you and that we'd learn more about how to study your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so w this is episode four, but we're going to, I just want to give you a, a quick recap on what we said in episode three. Remember, we talked about anger and being slow to anger and, um, and uh, being slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. And we talked about temptation and being tempted by, are we being tempted by God or does allow God allow allow temptation to occur so that we can become stronger so that we can have our faith build up inside us as we resist that temptation no god never tempts us but he does allow us temptation uh, as part of our trials um even though the the word unfortunately is the same if you remember the the word we looked at was perasmos and it means trial and a temptation but in the in the context and the understanding of who and what, who God is and what he does, we we have to come to the realization that God, while God never tempts us, he does allow us to be tempted. Tempted, Sorry. Um, well, you know, in my case, as good looking as I am, I, I might be tempting. <laughs> anyway, I digress. There's probably my kids would just be groaning right now. But um, we're going to pick up now in ver chapter one, verses 22. Uh, and we're going to look at start with verses 22 through 25. Verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Well, it seems like this this part could be a little bit confusing at a first glance. What word is James talking about? Well, James' letter was written before he was martyred in 69, 69, 70 AD, and the earliest manuscripts that we have date to the third century, which is about what 300, right? So there was no compiled compiled written word yet. 
if he was addressing only the future readers, i.e. us, then it would make sense. But we know that initially he is addressing readers of his time. Another part of the confusion is, is the word it. In grammar, it is the third person neutral. And this seems to imply an inanimate object of some kind. So when you think about that, the, that it word, the direct correlation to Jesus Christ, the living word, he, as, as Christ calls himself in John, it's hard to make that correlation. Well, remember that James is Jewish, and he's speaking most speaking speaking. Whoo, he's speaking mostly to the Jews who have become believers. Well, I think he's referring to both the Old Testament scriptures as well as the teachings of Christ. Paul tells us in Romans two, and as well as other places, that the law is and was perfect. And while impossible to keep every aspect of it, it was pure and holy. Pure and holy, that's important to get your grasp on that. It was pure and holy and given so that the people could know their sin as well as show them how to live holy lives. Christ states that he did not come to abolish the law, but to complete it. Not to abolish it. So that means the law has not gone away, but it has been all the 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 things that are required by the law have been completed in Christ and and as we grow that becomes a more apparent thing we need to understand more about that as we go on and uh but today I want to talk a little bit I want to go in and talk some about that and we'll talk more about that perhaps in another study but for now it needs to be understood that Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to complete the requirements of it. So we're not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater type thing. Well, Matthew 5, uh, 17, Christ says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Again, that idea. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In that completion, the law does give freedom. So we can derive from this that James was referring to these words of Christ as well as the written scriptures. And getting back to this idea, you need to understand, okay, well, wait a second. You might think that Jesus was saying that your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who knew the law in order to get into heaven. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that he fulfilled it. So your righteousness comes from him, not of the Pharisees, not of the law, but from Jesus Christ himself. But he also said, the law isn't going away. It's still there. Although he's requ the requirements of it have been completed, the law is still there. Anyway, um, moving on, I want to come back. I want to move on a little bit. So back to this idea of where... Um, James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Well, wait a second. That brings another question to mind. 
How can we be deceived by listening? How can we be deceived by listening? Doesn't the Bible state that God's word does not return void or empty, as in Isaiah 55:11? Well, the Greek word for listeners in this passage is akroate. In the English Standard Version or, and the New American Standard and the King James Version, the English word used is hearers. Was this a mistranslation? No. The problem is, in our language, the English language, we interchange the words listen and hear. However, often we apply, <coughs> excuse me, apply a different connotation for each. Hearers seem more appropriate if the connotation is applied in this in this instance. Remember the old saying, in one ear, out the other? Well, one heard, one is heard, but is not listening. So if that application is used, then we can hear the word and say to ourselves and others, yeah, I heard it. The deception is in the not listening. If we have listened and believed, we put into practice what we have heard. So the description James uses reflects that. Hearing and not listening, i.e. putting into practice what we have heard to do, following God's commands, is as futile as looking in the mirror and looking and forgetting what our own face looks like. Hearing and not listening, i.e. you hear it, not listening, as well as not hearing it and not putting into practice what we heard to do, is like looking in the mirror, and forgetting what our own face looks like. Now, that seems a little extreme, but it's to the point. Look, you look in the mirror, you see it, and it's like, oh. And then two seconds later, well, did I shave? Uh, wait a second, did I did I have a zit on my nose? Well, it don't matter, you know, who cares, right? I mean, that's kind of like, kind of like, I, I know it's probably a little bit of extreme or, or a stupid thing, and, and you know, that may be a guy way of looking at it. I don't know, a girl thing. Oh, did I did I put the right color eyeshadow? I don't know. I might be, di- I'm digressing a lot here, but you get the idea. Um, that's what uh, James was trying to say here. Um, there's also another deeper aspect to that. Many of us, when we look into a mirror, choose to forget what we look like because we don't like what we see. And so do many of us choose to hear only the word and not listen because it either convicts us or we're prideful in thinking that it does not apply to us. Or again, maybe even worse, in our own pride, we are bored by it. But we can claim, but we can claim that we were attending church and we can deceive ourselves into thinking that our attendance is enough. We were there. We heard it. We sang some songs. You know, it's it's cool. I was there on Sunday. I'll be there next Sunday. Well, maybe not next Sunday, but I'll certainly be there Christmas and Easter. Anyway, you get the point. So verse 25, James goes on to say, but whoever looks intently, intently into the, I'm sorry, that was emphasis with mine. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Looks intently. So we listen. Then we focus. We contemplate and study what we have heard so that we can fully understand it. We pray to God for his wisdom and have his spirit guide us and teach us so that we can have a deeper understanding so that solidifies and cements itself in in um, 
in our minds and in our hearts. The other day in my my men's journaling group, we we talked a little bit about um, the types of learning that there are visual, audio, tactile learning, learner ways of learning. And sometimes, especially with the word, it takes all three. We listen to it. We, and in, in, the, in the case of journaling, we write down what we heard. We write down what God is bringing to our minds from what we what we heard. That's part of the journaling. It it's helps in the learning process. Now, not everybody. I'm not saying everybody go out and journal. I'm just saying it is can be part of the process to help us fully understand the Word of God. Because if all we do is just hear it, not listening to it, not contemplating on it, not praying about it, we'll forget it. Understanding and following God's direction for our lives through his word, through hearing the word, through receiving the word will indeed bless us all. Well, verse 26 through 27, he goes on and says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. These verses are so straightforward that there really is not that much to dig into. We're being told not to be posers. Keep our mouths shut. If we don't, what we propose to believe isn't true. The need to keep tight rain on our tongues is revisited later in this in this letter the greek and we will we will talk about that then but the greek word used here uh in this place is and i'm going to mess this up bad so kelly my good friend pastor kelly of ann arsdall please forgive me for my mispronunciation and you can email me or text me with the correct pronunciation but anyway the greek word here is chalingnag agan which, again, I probably messed that up, but anyway, which translates to bit leading or bridling. The picture that it shows is uh, of someone controlling a horse, camel, or pack animal with the bit that is in their mouth. So keeping a tight rein means to make sure you have a strong control over your tongue as a rider would their mount so that it would go where they wish, and in the case of the tongue, speak only that wish you would want spoken. Interesting picture, but remember it's a picture of our, our our times. But it you know it could be the same. It, it does that is almost timeless. You know when we have we've seen westerns and we've seen shows with people riding horses and we've seen even cop shows where cops are horseback and that sort of thing, um, and how the the horse is controlled. Well, that's how we're to keep a tight rein on our tongues. The same thing. And again, like I said, we're going to get more into the the meaning of that and, and why that's important further on and, and as we progress through James and our walk through James. But religion, religion, this is how religion is defined. It's defined uh, in in the uh, uh, like Webster's and so forth. It's defined as the belief and worship of a superhuman controlling power especially a personal God or gods, a particular system of faith and worship, a person of or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. The Greek word for religion is threskos and threskia. 
that directly translates to ritualist, as in one who is performing the ritual, and ritual as in the performance. In this context, it really pops up. Doing acts by rote or to puff oneself up. A ritual is a solemn act to venerate someone, thing, or belief that is often scheduled to be formed as a specific, at a specific time and place. Worship can be considered a ritual. So the only pure acts or rituals, i.e. religion in God's eyes, are those that are unselfish as helping the helpless. In those times, widows and orphans were probably the most helpless and lowest of society. A widow without a son to take care of him, a son or a daughter or some, uh, some family member to take care of him, where they turned out being beggar. And if they were young enough, they often became even prostitutes. And honestly, some of those things haven't really changed all that much. And orphans, okay, orphans, you know, if, again, orphans have no family to help take care of them, so they became street kids. We still have that problem today. We may not consider it that way, may not call it that way, uh, but widows and orphans still exist in our time. Their 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 circumstance and the things surrounding their widowhood or their orphan orphan situation are different, but they're still widows and orphans, and we still have people, homeless people, that are helpless, that that need to to be taken care of. That it is our responsibility. It is our act of worship. It's our act of worship. It's our religion. It's the only thing that God considers to be pure and true religion. Well, so think about that. God wants us to have a heart for those who can't help themselves. And if we make it a ritual, a sacred performance in helping them, and our scheduled time for it is 24-7 or wherever we come across them, God himself will consider that as pure religion. Now, remember, it's not something to puff ourselves up because then once once it becomes a prideful or puffed up thing, it's no longer a selfless act, is it? It then becomes a selfish act. And I don't care what you're doing, how much you're you're helping somebody, if you're only doing it to serve yourself, it is no longer what God would consider pure. It now becomes corrupt. So so keep that in mind. If, if you're going to help somebody, if you're going to it, it help somebody out because they're helpless, just do it to help them. Don't do it because it makes you feel good. Do it because it's helping them because they are helpless. Anyway, I know that seems like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, easy thing to say. It's easier said than done. Sometimes it's okay to feel good about helping somebody else. It's okay. But if that's the only reason why you're doing it to make yourself feel good, then the purity of the act no longer becomes a, a religion in God's eyes. It becomes uh, um, a selfish, uh, self-promoting thing. God knows your heart. And I'm not saying I'm not perfect in uh, that, that I'm perfect in this because I'm not. I try as much as possible. You know, when I see somebody on the side of the road, if I have, I keep a couple of bucks in my in my glove compartment to give give to somebody, and I don't feel bad about it, and I don't feel like I'm doing something wrong either. And I've heard people say, "Well, you can't give the panhandlers." Look, what the panhandlers do with the money that I give them is between them and God. 
what I do, my heart of giving it to them is between me and God. And quite frankly, it's nobody else's business. The same thing goes for you. What's between you and God is between you and God. And God knows your heart. God knows my heart. Anyway, um, God will consider those types of acts as pure religion. That's what he considers pure religion. This is something really to truly focus on unselfish acts. What can be considered an unselfish act? What is your heart behind some when you help somebody else? Is it so that you can be helped later? Or is it so that, and, and helpless may not be somebody that's in the state state of widowhood or orphanage. It could be somebody that uh, is on the side of the road with uh, a broken down car. It's the middle of the summer uh, uh, and they're sweating and, and there's nothing, there's nobody's coming over to help them out. They don't have a phone or else to, to, to get help or anything like that. That's a helpless person. The helpless can be any, you can find a widow in an orphan or somebody helpless in any situation, anywhere in the world today. Your heart should be that of giving to them as God would have given to you. Because how many times have you been in helpless situations where God provided for you? Anyway, um, I can don't want to belabor that too long, but it is something truly to focus on, unselfish acts. Well, episode five, we're going to begin into chapter two in episode five. And, and I would ask that, that, that you um, per, peruse it, read it. You don't have to give a deep study on it, but maybe um, read it up a little bit so you kind of can follow along with what I'm going to be talking about. Um, for me, it's Friday. I don't know when you'll end up listening to this, but for me, it's Friday. I wish a great blessing on all of you who are listening to this and that your hearts will be open to listening and <laughs> not just hearing it um, and contemplating. And hey, if I've done something that seems not right in, in my, my, my um, expl explanation and in my teaching here, please let me know. Maybe I did, maybe I missed something, or maybe there's something that, uh, um, that I am missing, or maybe it's something I'm mistranslating. If that's the case, I'd rather be rebuked now i'm not a wise man but i'd rather be rebuked or and and you know be gentle <laughs> you don't have to cuss me out or scream at me but but and and hear something that say oh i need to be corrected in this and i am certainly willing to uh i'm not arrogant enough to think that i get everything right so please contact me or if you have any questions about something hey you know maybe you wished i i could have explained something further I'm a please, please don't hesitate to um, Facebook message me, email me, uh, text me, um, any of those things. Um, as I've said before, um, my email address is Peter Kligman, that's P-E-T-E-R-K-L-I-G-M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy, 88 at gmail.com. Or uh, look me up on Facebook and send me a message, Peter Kligman, just or Pete Kligman, and just message me and say, hey, can I go over this? Or did you know this? Or something like that. Uh, I, I love to hear from you. Uh, again, have a great weekend. Oh, let's, let's close out in prayer. Lord God, I just thank you again for this time that we can uh, come together, listen, learn, 
teach one another, sharpen each other. Lord God, help our hearts be open to you. Help us to keep our tongues bridled and help us to listen and focus and study study your word. And, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us, reveal to us what you would have us know. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Bye, everyone. Have a great weekend.